Let's, uh, let's take a few minutes and let's turn to Scripture and spend a second contemplating a few things before we come to this table. You know, for the last uh, four weeks or so, we've been uh, asking you to wrestle with questions. And, uh, and these questions, if you've been around, they're biggies. The first question would you dare look at yourself honestly? That was a biggie. And if that wasn't enough, then we asked, what do you really hunger for? Like, what is your heart's true desire? That's a terrifying question to answer. Uh, I won't go into all that. But the third question is, what possesses you? We have lots of things in our lives, but which of those things have you? And then how do you view suffering, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which I know a lot of you are just kind of wrestling with that. Is could it possibly be that the way that you view hardship and suffering could determine a course in your life? How do we navigate these questions? Well, it's simple. You go back and you listen to the podcast because we gave you all the answers. So let me close in prayer, and then we'll go on to communion. Wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? Well, I went to church today, and they gave me the answer, and I don't ever have to ask that question again. I don't ever have to worry about it. But in reality... As we begin to answer these, it brings up more questions, and it brings up more of my life if I step into it, and I ask more questions about how do I navigate that? How do I kind of, how do I work my way through that? You know, what's crazy is that when I start to throw the rest of my life into those questions, like, am I navigating relationships correctly based on how I answer those four questions? Like, are you doing relationships correctly? Have you ever gotten lost and you're trying to convince yourself that you're not lost and so you keep going in the direction that you're going in but in the back of your mind you know if I'm lost I have to turn around and go all the way back in the direction I'm going and so I wrestle with do I keep on going in this direction hoping that I'm not lost or do I just stop and turn around and try to figure it out? Wow, are you lost? I'm not even sure what I just said. But what happens if the way you answer those questions are affecting your relationships? What, is, what if it affects the way you view your career, what you do for a living, or the way that you handle money? Are you doing those things correctly? Are you navigating that world in a way that is healthy? Are you going to find yourself five years from now and look back and go, oh, I, I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe that I lived like that. How about your own sexuality? Or what about your emotions? You know, are you navigating and living through those questions and your emotions in a way that is healthy and correct and going in the right direction? Or community or your spirituality? You know, this is going to seem random. It probably is. But uh, when I was a little kid, uh, I grew up in Louisiana, and we would have the parish fair in our hometown because we were central Louisiana. Uh, Sin La City is what we were called. And... Uh, I remember as a little kid, we used to all go anticipating riding the rides, but there was one ride that always got me and my brothers excited and took our breath away, and this is going to seem silly, but it was that ride where there are swings, and they're attached to a, a center pole, and they, they go in circles, and you go further and further out as it's swinging like that. Do any of you remember that? And we just thought, that is like intense. I cannot wait. You're going to ride the swing ride? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to ride the swing ride. 
And here's what happened when you ride the string ride. String, okay, you know what I'm talking about. And you're like six years old and you're standing there and you're in line. That's when the ride really begins is when you're in line. Because you're watching this and this is run by a bunch of carnies, you know, who are chewing tobacco and don't have any teeth, you know. Nothing against people who chew tobacco or don't have teeth. God loves you too. But, you know, you know, got tattoos everywhere. And for a six-year-old, these are like creatures from another world. And we're looking at them and then we're looking. They, they built this. And we start to think about all the stuff that could go wrong with the swing ride. Uh, and I'd say to my brothers, oh, that chain looks like it's going to break, doesn't it? That's part of the ride. <laughs> Seriously, is that every step you take and you get closer, you start to doubt whether you have any sanity that's going to lead you on to sitting in that swing and going five miles an hour in a circle and going out. <sighs> well, let me promise you, if there is, lives an illusion inside of you that the older you get, the easier these questions are to answer, let me shatter that bubble for you right now. Because the older you get, the more complex your life becomes, the more multidimensional. And here's what happens when you stand in the line of life and you're looking at those questions. You start to have a creative imagination that can create more things going wrong with this ride than you could ever imagine when you were six years old. And as you get closer and closer, you realize the ride's no longer just a little five-mile-an-hour kiddie ride. It has been morphed into something on steroids that's going to literally scare the hell out of you. For example, show us. We went to uh, Cedar Point a couple of years ago, which is an amusement park up uh, in Sandusky. And uh, this is their version of the little chair in the county fair ride. It's called Max Air, if we can get it up there. Here it comes. Get closer, closer, closer. There. This is their version of that little parish fair ride. It not only swings in circles. Here comes my best part. Do you hear what everybody's saying? Can you, can anybody interpret that? <laughs> I want to recommend to you that this is the best worship there is in the world. Just literal, just screams. Okay, thanks. It's a great picture of community, isn't it? We're all strapped in together, and we're probably all going to die. <laughs> but there's laughter and screams all on the same ride. Well, we're starting a series today that I hope will navigate us as a community deeper into these questions, deeper into your lives, deeper into the chaos to where it doesn't cause you to avoid the ride, but it causes you to strap yourself in and scream with terror as well as great joy. Paul, uh, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote this book to the church in Corinth, and he was writing to a church, well, to say it's a little messy is an understatement. The church in Corinth uh, not only was messy, and we're going to talk about this more, but it seemed like everything they did, they took a misstep. It seemed like every 
step they took, they kind of stepped off the path. They weren't strapped in that chains were breaking on their ride and they were going in directions that they weren't intended to go. And Paul, in this book, keeps bringing them back, almost like a compass back to the center. See, when you think about this ride that we just saw here, the anchor of that ride is the strength of the hub, the very arm that everything else is swinging off of. And if the, if the hub isn't strong enough, or if you're anchored into a weak hub, then it's not the ride's going to be terrifying, the ride's going to be deadly. And when it comes to our own lives and we're answering these questions and we're living out community, where's the hub that we're anchored into? What are we locked into that are giving us strength so that the joy of the ride is also mixed with the scariness and terror of it? And so Paul takes us to a place where he keeps saying, let's go to the hub, let's go to the hub. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to jump around a little bit in this chapter, and I'm going to start in verse 10. Paul says, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So the first thing that Paul is saying to them is you need to be united, not just in, just in thought, but also in what you believe. Then he begins to address an issue. My brother, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which was also Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. So Paul's addressing an issue of something that was going on here is that the community in Corinth was dividing itself based on who they said they followed. So you got the guys that are saying, hey man, I'm following Paul. He's like, you know, that bad apostle that just comes in and takes prisoners. And some are saying, I follow Peter, you know, the, uh, the guy that was converted. And he's kind of always putting his foot in his mouth, but he's endearing to us. And some are saying, I'm following Apollos, who was this eloquent speaker and this intelligent guy who came into the community and wooed people with the way he could speak. And then some were even saying, you know what, we don't follow any of those guys. We just follow Jesus. Matter of fact, that's all we do. We just, we don't follow any man. We're just Jesus people. We're not a part of any community. We're not a part of anything that's an expression of the body of Christ. We're just following Jesus. And Paul, Paul is challenging this. But let's think about it for a minute. I mean, really, what's the big deal? I mean, seriously. I mean, you guys live in Nashville. A lot of you do. I mean, let's look around this city. I've never seen a city in my life that has so many churches as Nashville. And not just churches, but there are great churches in this city. And a lot of those churches are led by phenomenal people, and most of them are my friends. And I admire them. And they tell me stuff they're preaching on, and I'm like, ooh, wow, that would be awesome. Why didn't I think of that? I mean, there are incredible people in this city that God has brought here. And incredible pastors. That's okay, right? Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, because it's a beautiful expression of the body of Christ. All over the city, there are people that are gathering together to worship and to hear teaching and to proclaim the name of Christ in all different flavors and all different colors and even in all different languages. And that's a beautiful expression of how the Lord is working. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. 
Paul is talking about when we begin to put men at the center of the hub. When we begin to put leaders at the center of the wheel that's spinning and asking those guys to be strong enough to sustain what's happening as the ride goes around. And what he's saying is, I know it feels so good to do that. I mean, why do we do that? Because we do it all the time. We keep pushing people to the center, dynamic leaders, and we want them to change things. We want them to do things. We want them to accomplish things. And we keep putting them in that center, and we even put our hope on them to do something. One of, that, one of the reasons we do that is it's a grand illusion that we confuse excitement as the same as transformation. Our, experiment, our experience is the same thing as transformation. Because emotionally, it feels like transformation. Like when we go to something, like if you come here on a Sunday morning and you have a phenomenal experience or you go to this other church across town, you have this phenomenal experience like, man, it was just an amazing service. It's easy for us to emotionally to connect our experience with internal transformation and they're not the same thing. But when we're not experiencing internal transformation by the work of Christ, it's easier for me to attach myself to an experience. And when I attach myself to experience, it's easy for me to attach that experience to a leader. In other words, I hope that Randy does something this morning that makes me feel good or makes me feel like something's happening with me today. But when church becomes about an experience or when this becomes about what you're feeling, then the problem with that is, is that you come hoping to reduplicate that experience again hoping that next Sunday is going to wow you as much as last Sunday did. Or today, something's going to happen that will duplicate the experience that you had last week. And that's just impossible. I can't go back and live the past, neither can you. But when we get in that train of saying, my life is about experiences rather than real transformation, then it's not strong enough to handle the questions that we asked last week. You know, uh, a couple of months ago, Garth Brooks was here in town, and he was doing those, uh, what, how many concerts did he do? Nine concerts. And uh, so I came home one night and asked my daughter, Maggie, I said, do you want to go to a Garth Brooks concert? And uh, she, she said, yeah, let's go, you know. And I said, okay, <clears throat> but this is going to be an experience because neither one of us really know Garth Brooks that well. I mean, sure, he hangs out at the house from time to time, but how do you really know somebody, you know? And uh, so I said, okay, what we've got to do is we've got to go shopping. So we went shopping, and we bought country and western outfits and cowboy hats, you know, and boots. And we were, we're going Gar Brooks, baby. All right. And so, you know, we, we parked, and we're just, and we got there, and we were the only people wearing cowboy hats. So I don't know when rednecks stopped doing that. But uh, <laughs> sorry. Come on. I'm just. Anyway, and so we got there, and it was fun. I mean, we had a great time. I mean, father and daughter, you know, there's nothing like putting your arm on your shoulder of your daughter and singing, I got friends in low paces. <laughs> Where the whiskey flows and the beer chases, your blues away. It was a real bonding experience for us. We're going to be singing that during communion today. Uh, you know, it was a great experience. We had a lot of fun. 
but it didn't transform us. I mean, I would go to another concert like that. I think Maggie would too, but it didn't transform us. It gave us a great memory, and it pointed to something that was deeper than the event, which was that something had already transformed, and that was that God gave us the grace and the mercy to be in a family together. But it didn't transform us. See, what we need is change. And when I put men at the center of this community, when we put men at the center, it's not strong enough to handle the kind of transformation that we really need because they don't have the power to do that. Men have the power to give us experiences, but they don't have the power to bring transformation. Another illusion that we have when we push leaders to the center of a movement is that it's safer. <laughs> let, me, let me try to explain this. And some of you do this, and I have nothing against you when you do this, so I'm not trying to shame anybody, but it's not uncommon for me to be out, and one of you come up to me, and we've not met before, and you go, hey, I go to your church. And here's what goes on in the back of my mind. My church. I own a church. Yes. Like, what do you do with that, you know? No, I think about, really, it's, it's not my church. I don't own anything. But it does feel good when we push leaders to the center because it becomes safer that this is Randy's church. And so we come to see what Randy's doing with his church this week. What's safe about that is... I can keep a distance from you. I can keep a distance from this because this is his deal. It's not my deal. And the best way I can explain that is when Renee and I go out to dinner, uh, I am completely free to criticize everything on my plate. Don't you? I kind of like that. Can't believe that. I mean, and we can kind of critique and kind of decide was this a good experience or was this a bad experience? Because we are consumers. And as consumers, we're paying for this. And as paying consumers, we have a right to critique. But try bringing that same mindset to the dinner table in my home after Renee has worked for four hours on dinner. Hmm, I like that. Hmm, I don't like that. You know, the service was really poor tonight. (laughs) You want to talk about transformative, it would transform me into the very presence of Jesus. Why? Because this is my home. I'm invested here. I'm invested in this place. What's on this plate represents more than the food that's on the plate. It represents our family. It represents hands that slaved over this as an expression of love. It represents who we are and what we are. And so we sit around that dinner table and we celebrate regardless of what the food tastes like. Although Renee's a great cook. She is. Some of you experienced that. You see the difference? When I push a leader to the center, I'm a consumer and I'm free to criticize. I don't have to buy into anything. But when we are family and I'm not the center, I'm just one of the guys here using his gifts for the Lord, then now it becomes our deal. And you see how much danger that is? How much more dangerous that is for you? See, here's what's broken and here's why a man can't stand at the center of that ride because he can't hold it. This is what's broken. Me. (laughs) I'm broke. I promise you, I'm going to let you down. And if I don't let you down, it's because you haven't gotten close to me yet. The closer you get, the more you're going to go, good Lord. God allowed him to be a pastor. (laughs) Yes. It's beautiful. And you know, some of you have pushed men so much to the center of your ride of life 
So much of the center of your journey of spirituality and even your center of your understanding of all the questions that we ask, that when those guys crumble, it shatters you. It even shatters your faith. Some of you would even walk away from the church if something happened to one of the leaders that you put your hope in. Paul is saying in this passage, guys, don't do that. Men can't handle that. And the second reason it's so dangerous is because it's not just leaders will let you down, but if you push leaders to the center, you're going to lose sight of who you are. Neil Postman, famous sociologist, wrote in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, that we have become a watch, watching society. And he says the danger of us becoming a watching society is that we watch everything. And we see things and we experience things on the other side of the world, like what's happening in Egypt right now. And he says what happens when we see something like that is that we feel powerless to bring any kind of change into that situation. We're impotent. We really don't have the power to change what's happening in the streets of Egypt right now, in Cairo. But what Neil says is that we begin to bring that back into our own lives. To where now I feel like I'm impotent to bring any change in any way in my life or in my community or in my neighbor's life. The danger of us turning into a watching society when it comes to our community is that you're going to feel like that the only power stands on this stage. And you're going to lose sight of who you are, the body of Christ. And that's dangerous for us. So, what should we do? 1 Corinthians, hit this real quick and then we'll come to communion. Paul says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Christ crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? What is he saying? You're looking in the wrong direction. When I do a wedding, there have been a couple of times where the groom gets really nervous. Have you ever seen a groom pass out in a wedding? I haven't either. It's coming though. I'm doing a lot of weddings over the next six months. Some of you are about to get married. But there have been a couple of times where the groom is so nervous and they're so concentrating on, okay, repeat after me. And I look at them and I say, okay, now repeat after me. I take you, fill in the name, to be my beloved wife. And they'll stare right at me and go, I take you to be my beloved wife. And I'm like, no. Look at her. Say it to her, you know? You're not marrying me. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, you're not marrying me. You're looking in the wrong direction. And he's simply saying, did I do these things of transformation in your life? No. They didn't come from me. So look at verse 4. And here's the heartbeat of, I think, of this whole book. He says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop there for a second. Paul is encouraging us as a community to push push Christ to the center of this community. He's the only thing that's strong enough to sustain the wildness of the ride of the questions that we've been asking. And he's saying Christ isn't just at the center that Christ is at the center with grace. What does that mean? That it's not a church, it's not a seminar, it's not an amazing leader that transforms you. It's the supernatural love of God. It really is through the work of Jesus Christ that we are changed, 
truly changed. And this is amazing because, and we'll talk about this later, this church in Corinth, man, they were messy. They were crazy. They were arguing with each other. There were sexual scandals all over the church. They were suing each other. They were coming and getting drunk at communion. I mean, imagine one of you getting tanked at communion today. Boy, conversation over lunch would be rich, wouldn't it? It was a messy church, and yet Paul is saying to them, the grace of Jesus Christ has come on you. It's an extravagant love that God would mess, step into such a messy city and bring a message of hope. He says over in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And what is this message of the cross? That we're lost. That the world that we live in is broke. That's why we want to push men to the center. Because it's so much easier for us to push men to the center than to push Christ to the center. It's a broken world. That sin is twisted and it's bent everything. It's polluted everything in our lives. It's polluted our emotions. It's polluted our heart, polluted our minds. It's polluted the world that we live in. It's broken things that should not have been broken. It's even taken love and it's twisted it and it's made it into something that is about self-protection and self-justification and even self-glorification rather than dying to ourselves. It's so broken that scripture tells us that the world is even a world of death. And yet Jesus stepped into this mess to bring us life. He stepped into the craziness of Corinth to bring them life. I love what St. Augustine said that God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And why would he do that? I mean, why would God love us so much that he would send Christ to bring redemption in our lives? Augustine goes on to say, because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. That we were made by him, but we were made for him. And Jesus came to provide that rest. Through the cross, through the redemptive work of the cross, that we would not only be forgiven, which we are in the cross, that when Christ went to the cross, he took all our sins with him. And when he died and took on that punishment for our sins, he offers that salvation now, that forgiveness for us, that we would be set free. That's amazing. And, you know, I wish I had the words to say this, but I was thinking about this this week. I mean, think about the, the awesomeness of God, the creator of the universe. I mean, even if you don't believe in God, imagine with me just for a minute that there is a God who holds all these things in his hands, who knows all the stars and has named them, and he knows you, and he could express himself in any way he chose to express himself. I mean, he could come as the judge, and he would be justified as the judge if he came and brought judgment onto our lives, right? I mean, come on, honestly, yes. But yet this God decides to express all his might, all his glory, all his sovereignty, and all of this into love for us through Jesus Christ. Well, let's keep reading. For in him you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. 
It's not just that he's forgiven us. It's not just if we are in Christ, we have been set free and now there's no condemnation for us. It's not just that the Lord has removed the guilty stain from us and now calls us white as snow, making us holy, making us righteous. It's not just that he's done that. That would be enough. But he also gives us gifts, every spiritual gift. Yesterday, uh, my middle son, Trent, we went looking for a car. And uh, he has about $3,000. And if you've ever looked for a car uh, with only $3,000, do you know what kind of car you can find? Yes, exactly. So we're driving down and we, uh, we go into this used car dealership where a buddy of mine works. Turns out he doesn't work there anymore, but they sell high-end uh, used cars. I said, don't worry, Trent. I bet you they got some clunker in the back that we can get for nothing. And he goes, okay, Dad, I trust you. We walk into the, uh, the showroom and there are used cars all over the showroom, like a Lamborghini I'm not joking you. We walk in and we're like, wow. I said, Trent, 3000 bucks. Offer it for him. Just, just offer. See what he says. <laughs> they had Ferraris. They had Porsches. They had all these things. And, you know, you're like, well, you know, you're just looking at these and you're just kind of drooling. Uh, imagine that guy coming up to Trent and going, all right, tell me how much money you got. I tell you what, take the, take the Ferrari. No, seriously. No, and just keep your money, Really? Use it for gas. You're going to need that much gas to get home. You know? My gift to you. Would that be quite a gift? Yeah. Well, the God of the universe is giving us gifts, but he's not giving us gifts so that if Trent was driving uh, that Lamborghini home, the windows would be down. He would have his name written on top of the car. This is Trent's car. He'd be cruising and saying hi to everybody because the gift would glorify Trent. But the gifts that the Lord gives us are not to illustrate us, but to glorify the gift giver. Isn't it beautiful? Because when we use the gifts that the Lord has given us, they point away from us and they point to him. That's the true mark of a leader. A leader in the church is pointing to the gift giver. I know that uh, if you've ever been walking on the beach and you come up on a group of people that are standing there and they're all pointing out to the surf, you know, and they're all looking in the same direction. What do you do when you join them? You don't stand back with the ocean to your back and look at them and go, you are an amazing pointer. Like, no, seriously, you point in a way that I have never seen before. No, we turn our back to the crowd, to the pointers, and we look at where they're pointing. And that's what our gifts do. And what's beautiful about the gift giver is if he's giving us gifts and he's inviting us to use those gifts. And then finally, look at verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Not only does he set us free and give us grace through Christ, not only does he give us gifts and invite us into the journey of what he's doing, but he also gives us fellowship with him. That God cares more about what I do. He cares about who I am. He's with us. And because he's with us, we can enjoy the ride, even though it may feel terrifying. Because at the center of this ride 
is not something as weak as who's the next great leader. What's at the center of this ride is the Lord Jesus Christ who brings redemption and healing and transformation. So what would that look like here? What would it look like for us as a community to step into the journey of saying we have been transformed by the Lord? Not only have we been transformed, we're a community that has been gifted And we want to flex the muscle of those gifts so that we can point to the one that has given us that gift. And we live in fellowship with the Lord, believing that he is with us. What would that look like here? Well, this week uh, I got an email from a friend, someone here in this community, Suzanne Williams, who uh, heads up Capernaum for Young Life, which is Young Life is an outreach ministry to high school Kids, typically teenagers that may not find their way into a church, they reach out to them with the love of Christ. Suzanne, uh, her ministry is to kids that are handicapped. High school kids that uh, are struggling with multiple forms of disabilities. And one of those mothers of one of those kids that come to Capernaum wrote her a letter last week. And I want, can I read that letter to you? My daughter Natalie would have would have to be on her deathbed to miss Young Life Capernaum. She's not only accepted and loved, but also enjoyed by those that come to play and worship with people with intellectual disabilities. Although Natalie may not be able to tell you why Capernaum is unique, she inherently knows it. It makes her happy. Capernaum is Natalie's church, a place where she learns about God's love, experiences his love through his people, and is encouraged to go and love others. Natalie does does go to church with us, but Capernaum is the place where worship and Christian education are most acceptable to her. Don't we all want to worship with our friends? It's so much fun for Natalie and one of the most important things in her life. Imagine realizing that your child's spiritual needs are just not met in your home church and then finding Capernaum. What a wonderful gift that Young Life offers to people with disabilities. A gaping need was evident to you, and you loved enough to make a difference. My daughter is growing spiritually, and the evidence of that is blessings to our family. Thank you to all the volunteers and staff. You're changing lives by loving our children. You see the picture there? A community of people that were transformed by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And that, transform, that transformation gifted them by the power of God and the invitation for them to be a part of what God was doing in the lives of disabled children. And with the courage and belief that God goes with them, they stepped into that journey. And what is God doing? He is changing lives. He's bringing more transformation. What would that look like here? Exactly what I just said. It would look like that we would believe that it's Christ that's the center of this church. It's him that's working here. It's him that's bringing transformation in your life and in my life. That he equips us and he calls us. He's equipped all of you. And that we can have fellowship with him. And when he's with us and we're in fellowship with him uh, and we're on the craziest ride of our lives, You know what we do? We scream and we giggle and we laugh and we throw up and we do all that crazy stuff. And when we get off the ride, we turn around and go, let's get back in line and let's do it again. 
So that's where we're going over the next three or four months. And it's appropriate that we'd start this journey with communion. That at the very center of this service is your experience with the Lord. This is one of the two sacraments our Lord instituted. You know, a sacrament is a means of grace to where we experience God's love for us, his covenantal love for us. I just want to encourage you uh, as we come to this table that, uh, that you don't disdain the time that it's going to take to come to this table, but that you'd step into that journey and uh, really use this time to worship and let the Lord speak to you. Let him guide you through this time. So let me pray and then uh, let's talk about this table just for a second. Lord, thank you that you're working. And that in your work, Lord, uh, you finish what you start. Thank you, Lord, that at the center of this church and your church is you. And we lean into that, Father. And pray, Father, that now you'd come and meet us. That we would have fellowship with you. And that it would strengthen and heal us. In Christ's name, amen.